Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. My name is Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And we've made it, Wesley. What? We did it. It's the big 100. It's the season three finale. Um, I can't believe we're on episode 100 of this of this show. Yeah, this is crazy. I never thought we'd get to this point uh, when we started this, what, two, two and a half years ago? Two and a half, yeah. Um. Yeah, it's super exciting to do this, and it's a huge milestone for us, so we're super excited about it. Episode 100, end of season three. Um, it's big. It's or big. Is this season two or season three? Three. Yeah, end of season three. <laughs> it's like, so. damn, we don't even know what season I don't even know where I am. What, what day is it? But no, it's, it's just insane, because we started this when we were bored during quarantine, and it was like, let's just talk about movies, because that's all we're doing is watching movies. And now here we are on episode 100, just doing it every week for fun. Um, yeah, what a, what a blessing. It's so cool to just be at that, reach a milestone like this. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we get into this episode, you may hear some fan noises or things like that. Um, we would love to be in a quiet space, but it's currently 40 degrees outside, heat 40 wave. degrees Celsius. Uh, it's a bit of a heat wave, so we uh, need a little bit of cooling down. Otherwise, we're going to sweat to death here. We tainted our big 100th episode with just a swinging fan the yeah, entire exactly. episode. <laughs> Um, but no, we're going to be doing just some fun stuff. We're not talking about any movies today, or in specific, but we're going to be doing a mailbag. We opened up on the Instagram last week a post inviting people to ask any questions that they might have for us. Uh, a lot of responses from friends and a couple pages that we interact with a lot. So I'm, I'm excited to answer some questions. We got some really good ones here. And then we're also going to be playing some some fun games, the movie exactly. movie game. Yeah. Uh, so let's, do you want to just get into the mailbag? Actually, before we do that. How are you? How It's been two weeks since we last potted. What have it's you been, been up to? It's been so long. Um, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm currently, uh, I have a new apartment. Um, yeah. I'm living in Halifax. Well, not living in Halifax. I have an apartment in Halifax with my uh, roommate, Sid, uh, who has been on the podcast before. Um, and yeah, it's it's very nice to have a, a new space, my own space. Mm-hmm. Um and also reasonable rent in Halifax because that's like impossible these it's days. Unheard of, yeah. Unheard of, and uh, super super lucky to be able to find this place uh, off of a recommendation from my good friend Taryn. Um, and so yeah, I now have an apartment in Halifax. Um, super exciting. It's the vibes, you know. Just it's the, vibe, the vibes. It's all up from here. It's 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 amazing. I uh, I have a room that's even bigger than the room I have now, or maybe the same size Gotta in my parents' it. house. That's awesome. Compared to the fucking closet I lived in when we were living in Halifax. <laughs> Dude, you got you got the worst room when I we didn't. lived together. No, no. I got a better room than Actually, Morgan did. Yeah, you're right. Morgan got a really bad room. Um, <laughs> That's awesome, though, that, that the place is reasonable mm-hmm. and that you like it and that you got a nice room. Plus, laundry in unit. Don't have to uh, pay for laundry at all. Chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. Mwah. Beautiful. Living above a business, too, so at night I don't have to worry about my downstairs neighbors because I don't have any. Mm-hmm. I can stomp around all I want. Yeah. We're going to be able to get drunk and not have to worry about having an asshole below us. Exactly. On, on the chance that he listens to this podcast. Yeah, like he does. No, yeah. But, you know, that's that's the city life. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for you, man. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another thing I want to just mention... Um, and this is just kind of a funny story. So the other, this was actually yesterday, I think. Um, so my dad goes to a gym here in, in, uh, East Hans and they were selling a bunch of their old equipment. And so he bought this elliptical, uh, for like 50 bucks, really good deal. Usually it go it like brand new. It's like $5,000 and he bought it for 50 bucks. Pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, we put it, we brought it into the house um, and he wanted to put it into the basement. Now, 
our stairs aren't that big. And my dad was like, oh, it's a small elliptical. It's probably like five times as much as I weigh. Yeah. Um, it's huge. Yeah, like a small elliptical is still pretty it's still big. A, it's, it's an elliptical. It's right. still pretty big. Um, so he had to take the arms off of it. Like we had to partially remove like the top portion where the little screen is and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And we're dragging it down the stairs. Um, absolutely just like tearing up the stairs. Uh, and we, <laughs> are they okay? No, the stairs the... are fine. Okay. I was like, is there damage? Um, there's, there's some slight damage, uh, but nothing horrible. Uh, and then we had to like remove part of the we have like that panel ceiling in our basement had to remove part of it just to get it down the stairs we got it all the way to the bottom i looked at my dad and i went i feel like we got more of a workout out of that than we will ever get on this elliptical (laughs) that was that was the workout from the elliptical it was insane and on top of that we're in this heat wave so it's like 38 degrees Mm -hmm. we're like sweating buckets it, I this heat wave is really killing me. I'm gonna be honest. It's killing me, it, and it makes me feel insane because I love summer and I love the nice weather. And then we get weather like this, and like my mom and my dad are like sitting on the back deck, like it's delightful. And I'm like, you guys are in, no, like, I'm this melting. Is terrible, yeah. I no, it's it's the conundrum that I I love. I have I do the same thing, uh, but I feel like everyone does this where they're like. It's the winter time, and they're like, I just want the heat. And then it's the summertime, and they're like, it's too hot. Yeah. <laughs> There's no in between. It's good preparation for me, though. I'm going to Florida. Yeah, you'll the be end of the dying month. down there. Uh, really poor decision making on our part to be like, let's go to Florida at the end of August. In the hottest. It's going to be so summer. hot. Yeah. Uh, but we're going on a cruise. Looking forward to that. I'm going to Universal. Universal y'all, Studios. Y'all are going to burn. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be looking like a lobster. But <laughs> It's I'm, worth uh, it. This heat wave is, is essential for me right now. I'm glad I had it because this is a very hot Nova Scotian summer. Yeah. And the second I land off that plane, it's just going to be like 10 times worse. Yeah. So it's good that I know what I'm uh, what I'm in for. Mm-hmm. But the last few weeks have just been, we've just been suffering through this weather. It, and it yeah. won't go away. It's like. Well, I think it's supposed to end uh, after this weekend. Oh, good. Uh, the heat, like the intense heat of 40 degrees and then humidity too. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll be okay after that. But it'll still be hot. Yeah, I'm living in movie theaters right now. Yeah, exactly. Just like, get me in there. It's cool. I'm so glad my work is air conditioned. Oh, I'd be oh, dying yeah, yeah. if it wasn't. Yeah, we just set up air conditioner. In retrospect, we probably should have done that earlier in the summer. But yeah, maybe. At least it's done. Yep. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear you got your place, man. That's dope. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. Very exciting. Exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say what I've been up to, but we already know what it is. I wonder what it's been. <laughs> have Do you, you been guess? watching movies? <laughs> How'd you know? Whoa. <laughs> Crazy. Insane. <laughs> No, just been just been enjoying what I can with this weather though. It's like I'm trying to enjoy the summer, but it just but nobody. That's the thing. It's, not it's nice. like I want to enjoy the hot sun and all this stuff, but it's too hot to go outside. Exactly. Like I was sitting outside. Um, oh, they they. I was gonna yeah. So I've been sitting outside, uh, sanding down. I'm making my friends some little uh, dice boxes um, that they don't know is coming, but if they listen to this episode, they already have them by the time it's out. Uh, but I was sitting outside, like, sanding wood, and I was, like, sweating and just, like, dripping. And I was like, I can't. I, I <laughs> like, just I'm going can't. inside. I'm going inside. Yeah. Okay. It can wait for the next four days of rain. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, on that note, do you want to you open up the mailbag, get into yeah, some of the questions Yeah, let's get into some of these got? questions we have. Okay, cool. We'll start with our friend Noah. Noah Pellerine asks us, what do you guys think is the biggest movie flop of the year, in your opinion? Mm-hmm. Uh, complicated question because... I want to answer the movie that I think is the worst and flopped the hardest in regards to like what expectations were. Mm-hmm. But for me, 
I'm going to go box office based. I'm not going to go reception based. So I'm going to have to go with Lightyear. Yeah. Uh, which is a unfortunate answer and a devastating blow for the Pixar fan in me. Yeah. But that movie cost $200 million and it made $220. Mm-hmm. Which isn't a profit. You know, no. like to make a profit, they needed to make like, like $400 million. Double or triple. Yeah. Yeah. So that movie's a total bomb. Uh, the reception for it was mixed in general. I don't really know why. I kind of really like that movie. but Yeah, I don't understand it either. But. I think... Unfortunately, it's a sad world we live in where a Toy Story spinoff is a is a huge financial flop. But it's Lightyear uh, in in my answer. Yeah, I I'm just gonna go with the obvious answer here, uh, and I think everyone knows uh, what I'm about to say. I would say Morbius. It's more um, than time. Literally, so many people were excited for this movie. Um, we were like, "Oh man, Marvel's going dark. This is kind of cool." And then it came out, and it's piece trash. Yeah, um, so bad. So. Uh, yeah, like I would say I understand why you say it's a hard question because there's box office and then there's people's actual expectations. Mm-hmm. So I would agree for box office light year, but I think for expectations, definitely Morbius. I mean, not like I had any high expectations right. to begin with, but uh, it, it, it somehow I set the bar low and it hit rock bottom. <laughs> yeah, no, Morbius is like. And it is a huge bomb in its own right because it was kind of intended to be like the big launching point for the Sony yeah, exactly. Marvel Universe. And really, it doesn't launch anything and no one gave a shit about it. Yeah. It did make money. Like, I think Morbius cost $80 million and it made 160 But to be fair, that's over two theatrical releases. There's over two theatrical releases and most people just going to watch it because they heard it was so shit. Right, it getting memed. So, yeah, eh, you know. So... I guess Morbius is a really good answer for that as well. Because, like, when you yeah, when you look at it, even when you think box office, if you took Morbius solely, if you could somehow find out who actually went to see it because they wanted to, I feel like it would be way lower. I went hesitantly. Like, we went hesitantly, too. Yeah. We were like, the reviews are horrendous. We probably shouldn't go. We let's went, just do it. We went on a cheap night because we were like, it's so, the reviews are so bad, like, whatever we'll just go check it out Mm -hmm. yeah it was horrible it is awful so yeah uh lightyear and morbius the answer is there next question uh joe from kyber culture constant guest on the show yeah asks what is the worst movie you both ever seen of all time um we i think we've mentioned this before uh it's titanic 666 i don't know even know we hayden and i saw this movie like a trailer for this movie and we're like Oh my god. It this can't looks be real. So bad. It cannot be real. Yeah. We checked it out because it's a free movie. It was a completely free movie. We watched the entire thing. <laughs> I don't know why we did, but we watched the whole thing. I don't it's like a fever dream. I don't even remember watching the movie. And I, I, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I think this will be a good answer for another question. But yeah, that movie was just it was so poorly done yeah a like so poorly done and looked so awful mm-hmm. with like the most amateur actors i've ever seen and also so tasteless yeah. like the fact that they were like we'll make another titanic as a cruise ship take all the relics of people's dead relatives and things and put it on the cruise ship and then the reason why the cruise ship gets haunted is because a girl like summons stows away and summons the ghost for like we don't even know who this girl is she just appears at one point crawling out of a suitcase (laughs) i'm just like what is happening and like <laughs> it was it's historically accurate like the, one of the ghosts was literally the captain of the ship uh, yeah 
and like it was like very genuine and very very much like these are the actual people who died and i'm like oh my god that man the captain of the titanic went down with the ship honorably and was really trying to save as many lives as he could that night and then this horror movie's like but he makes spooky face yeah he's it, he's scary now yeah no that movie is horrible it's it's disrespectful it's a bad horror movie it's it's just awful yeah um that's actually not my answer though i it's an honorable mention for me oh you got another one i got another one uh i'm gonna go with the haunting of sharon tate oh which is on the same level of tasteless if not way worse essentially mm. it sets up this version of the manson murders where Sharon Tate has been having these dreams and hallucinations of a man named Charlie breaking into her house and killing her. Um, and so it's inaccurate because, yeah. you know, Sharon Tate was not haunted by Charlie Vanson prior to all that, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. But on top of that, it's horrible acting. It's Hilary Duff as Sharon Tate. Uh, horrible acting and shameless recreation. Like, it really goes to all lengths to recreate the Manson murders for you on screen. And That's it's awful. And, it, and it's awful. And it, it, it's just a terrible narrative. It's just awful. Daniel Ferens is the guy who directed it. He needs to be stopped. He keeps doing shit like this. He did another one about O.J. Simpson. and No! Yeah. Like, how he... I, I can't remember her name right now, so I'm not going to mess it up because that's Why? awful. But he, he needs to be stopped. He keeps doing this. And it's... Uh, yeah. Haunting of Sharon Tate's the worst movie I've ever seen. I was disgusted. I was upset. And as somebody who, like, knows a lot about the Manson murders in that case, I was just like, this man shouldn't be allowed to make this movie and he sent a letter to Sharon Tate's family and he was like the the murder of Sharon messed me up really bad when I was a kid so I wanted to make a good movie to honor her and I'm like you're a piece of shit (laughs) is what you are so if you that's want to my, honor her don't make the movie yeah that's my answer there's also a Netflix movie called The Open House uh, starring Dylan Minnette Oh. And I actually thought that movie would be really good back in 2017, and then I watched it, and I think that's the purest example of me being like, that's it. Like, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spoil the open house, but just like a guy breaks into the house, stalks them for a few weeks, kills his mom, kills him, and then leaves. And the movie that's ends. It. I'm like, oh. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah. sure. So that's those are like a couple of worst movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question is from a movie review website. Um, they left a comment that said, what do you guys think is the best inspirational speech given in a movie? And they said, they acknowledged like the big ones, obviously like any given Sunday or Braveheart. Um, but if there's any others that we have or like what we would want to hear before a big moment in a movie. Oh, what is, um, what's that movie that Samuel Jackson is the basketball coach? Mm, I know which one you're talking about. I was actually going to say a similar one, Denzel Washington and remember the Titans. That's a good one. Gives a really great speech. Coach Carter. That's what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it? I'm pretty sure that's the one with... I, don't, whatever, I, don't I haven't seen that one, actually. Whatever but. the one with Samuel L. Jackson as a basketball coach, he does a really good speech in that. Um, I would... I mean, I also got to go with the classic. Um, like, I mean, so... Oh, so many of the ones from, like, Good Will Hunting. Mm. Like, such good emotional speeches. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Because for me, I love the emotional long monologue speeches as well like it doesn't need to be some big triumphant thing for me to really yeah. hit it can just be like a more subtle one like goodwill hunting definitely has some mm-hmm. really good emotional speeches i have to i know in his comments he or they they acknowledged um braveheart but i have to go with braveheart i mean that's like good. that is the the iconic speech i know there's a really great one in shawshank as well mm-hmm. um pursuit of happiness just got a really really great speech so there's I, a couple i'm even going to shout out um the uh, what is that the speech that Captain America gives in 
I want to say it's Endgame, right before they like travel back in time, really hit me. Like, oh yeah, yeah. And he's like, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he's kind of talking about how like they've lost, but this is like the comeback kind of thing. Right. Really got me hyped up in that moment. There's a lot of great ones out there. Here's one. I got one. Uh, not a movie. It's from a TV show. TV show that is far past its prime. I don't watch anymore. Mm. But when this speech occurred back in season five or six, The Walking Dead. Uh, when they get kidnapped by the cannibals and they are in the cart and they are getting ready to be sent off to their deaths, Rick gives this fucking crazy speech about like how like they are the walking dead at this point. And it's uh, a very good. And it's the one time in the show that he says fuck and it's epic and it's wow. awesome. So that's a good example as well. Um, in regards to the part of the question about what I like to hear before a big moment, I like, I'm very sappy. Mm-hmm. I like, I like motivation. You know, I yeah. like stuff that makes you go like, Mm, hell yeah raise your fist mm. um but i also like stuff that can like on the more nuanced side i think i just like the emotional you know like getting cracking someone and getting through to them and in, in, mm-hmm. in the big climax of a movie like goodwill hunting uh i'm also gonna this is so i'm gonna shout this out and it's going to say something about me i don't know um but in the I love the show Steven Universe. Absolutely love the show. Mm-hmm. There are so many great speeches in that show, but there is one um, that Steven does, and I can't remember what episode it is, but it's when he's like, there's a pe- period of the show where he uh, is kind of like uh, growing up and getting older and all this stuff, and he's trying to like figure himself out as a teenager. Um, and there's a speech that he does to... Um, one of the characters her name's spinel uh that is just really good talking about like how no matter what happens to you no matter how your life ends up you are the one who gets to decide what happens next Mm -hmm. and who you become and it's just so fucking good and then there's like a song as well attached to it but yeah i've never watched steven universe i've heard good things about it i've never watched it it's amazing it's i love steven universe because i know you was literally uh rebecca sugar the same person who made adventure time um being like or some of the songs for adventure time at least being like um yo i'm gonna make a show for kids about your sexuality who you are as a person and how whatever the world tells you you can be whoever the fuck you want to be that's dope and cartoon network was like maybe a little less gay things and then rebecca sugar was like all of the gay things fuck you the kids don't understand (laughs) But one day they will. One day they will. See, it's great. I love it. Um, but yeah, there's there are so many. But yeah, same with you. I like all the sappy emotional stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I love when a character uh, calls back to things like family or things like uh, the journey we've just traveled on throughout the entire movie. Yeah, I'm not. Saying I'm not Fast the, and Furious. I was gonna say. <laughs> I said family. And I was Sounds like, an awful lot of it. That final that final you know. speech there from from Fast <laughs> Seven. Yeah. Anything Dom Toretto says. That's, that's my favorite, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, okay, next question. Uh, Braden asks, do you think a modern movie could ever crack the IMDb top five of all time? Yes. I totally agree. I think yes. And it hasn't happened yet. I'm more of a Letterboxd guy, and I know that on Letterboxd, uh, Parasite is like top three. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, it's already happened. But on the IMDb list, I know like the top five is like the classic classics. You mm-hmm. know, like the Citizen Kane and the Godfather and the Godfather Part Two and all that stuff. Do I think it could happen? Yes. I think Parasite could easily sneak its way in. I know on the IMDb list it's like at like 30, which is pretty far away. Mm-hmm. But Top Gun Maverick is at 16. Wow. And that's a very recent movie. So I think will it happen in the near future? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Will it happen? 
definitely. There's got to be a movie from our generation that comes around as like the seminal classic, right? I think it's possible. I think, I yeah, I think it's possible. But I think the issue is not the movies; it's the people who run those things because mm-hmm. they're like old white people, and they're they like their classics, and they're like. The Godfather is a is a classic that can never be beaten. Which is true. Which is I'm not gonna I'm not but, saying that the Godfather is a bad movie. It's an amazing movie. I haven't even seen it, and I know it's an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that there are so many amazing things that are a going under the radar because they're being made by very small, uh, unknown directors with very low budgets that are fucking emotional and heartbreaking and people absolutely love them but they're just have such a tiny audience compared to um there's like movies uh compared to like the godfather when back then that movie came out and it was like the biggest movie of the world yeah because there wasn't that much coming out but these days we've just got movies being pumped out every week like every week you could probably find two new movies that have come out you know yeah um so it's just tough with the kind of the amount that is getting pumped out, but I totally think it's possible. And I, if I was the person running IMDb, there would already be one that had broken it. I agree. Like, I, I think that there's a, you know, for me, if we're talking my movies, yeah, yeah. I would love to see everything everywhere in there. It's not going to happen, but mm-hmm. uh, it's very high up on Letterboxd, which is why I'm more of a Letterboxd guy. Like, my my movies on Letterboxd get so much love. Like, the ones that I really click with get yeah. so much love on there. Whereas IMDb, it's just like, you ever seen Full Metal Jacket? I'm like, yes, but like, it's like, have you ever seen the Star Wars movies? Yeah, the original Star Wars movies, they're great. It's yeah, like, no shit. It's like I'm not arguing that at all. Yeah. Um. So yes, I do think it can happen. When that Who remains knows? to be seen. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Braden also asked, "Do you guys think the popularity of the superhero genre has an expiration date, or do you think it's here to stay as prevalently as it is forever?" I wouldn't say as prevalently. Um, I think it's here to stay forever. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't like superheroes? Like, comics have been around for decades. Yeah. Movies are just moving pictures of comics, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that people have started to, I think we mentioned this before, have started to get that Marvel fatigue. I think it's it's less, uh, like, the big, huge, like, uh, movie viewers and things like that, or the... Um, the huge comic book nerds only. I think it's also just the general audience. Um, because you, like, let's say things like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is a classic product that has been around for years and yeah. years and years and years. But that doesn't mean it hasn't gone through changes or new versions of it, like vanilla Coca-Cola or cherry or whatever, you vanilla know? Vanilla Coke. Oh, See, superior. fantastic, right? It's great. Um, so the superhero genre, in my opinion, has been at a bit of like a consistent same thing for a while. Mm-hmm. You get new things like The Boys or Invincible that kind of spice things up a bit. But when it comes to like Marvel, you just kind of get the same stuff. And DC, which is going under right now. Oh, man. Yeah, let's talk about that at the end of the episode just randomly. Yeah, I feel really bad nightmare. for DC. Um, But like I definitely think superheroes are here to stay. I do think, though, that... It's starting to – the Marvel cookie-cutter machine is starting to lose traction, in mm-hmm. my opinion, because I've been seeing so many more people being upset with the new Marvel stuff that comes out compared to when 
um, Endgame came out and everyone was ecstatic. Right. Like there was not a single person in the world who didn't know what that was, you know? Mm-hmm. But now you've got all these shows that are coming out and people aren't watching the shows. People have less interest in that kind of stuff. I do think that it is starting to stall a bit, Yeah, in my opinion. I, I totally agree with everything you said. In my opinion, do I think the superhero genre has an expiration date? Maybe. I can't put a date on it. Um, but what I can say is, like, I totally agree that it is, it's hitting a bit of a point where everyone's just like, what more can we do here? How many new ideas can we explore in here? Yeah. I think there is quite a bit more that can be done with, obviously, like, it, it's just a genre, you know? Like, it's like, it's like we're asking what more can we do with comedies? What more can we do with dramas? Mm-hmm. You'll, we'll find something. Yeah. But I do think asking the question of, like, have we reached all of our, like, masterpieces in the superhero genre is, like, a valid question because we've gotten, like, I think the greats, you know, like the like I think when people reflect on great superhero movies, it's a pretty consistent and common list of like Logan, The Dark Knight. Yeah, uh, it's hard to top that stuff. Right. That stuff is like all pretty rem- remarkable. But then as we had talked about a few weeks ago and as I had talked about with Joe on um, one of his new episodes on the Kyber culture about we were talking about superhero fatigue. It's very real, yeah. especially right now. Um, so I don't think it'll expire, but I do think it'll crash a bit. I think the interest will wane a little bit, and then maybe 15, 10, 15 years, everyone will have this renewed interest. But that's kind of how it always works. It yeah. happens with music. Like, rock music was the biggest thing in the world during the 80s and 90s. It's not very big right now. Yeah. You know, it's now it's all rap music, and that's going to change again, and that'll just continue to shift. The same thing will happen with movies. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think expiration date, maybe not, uh, but yes, people are losing interest a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, next question is from Mike's Music, Movies, and Wings, the guy. Nice. He asked, thoughts on spoilers. Should I suspend my thoughts on something new, or should people stay off the internet until they're ready to potentially have things that they care about spoiled for them? Which is a very good question, um, because I think it's like kind of this moral quandary that everyone feels different on. Mm-hmm. Personally, I have this rule of, like, I think you should wait the weekend. Mm. If a movie comes out on a Friday, talk about it on Monday, you yeah. know? Give people a couple days. Don't be the dude who, like, on the Friday that the movie comes out, posts, like, a screen grab of, like, a big thing for the movie. Because nobody's really seen it yet. Yeah. I don't think that's giving anyone a fair chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that, like, the people who three weeks after a movie come out get something spoiled for them and then go, man, what the fuck? I'm like, are you going to watch it? Yeah, it's been three weeks. It's It's been out, yeah. Mm-hmm. You had multiple chances. But then I know there's also this new thing with, like, streaming, right? A lot of people just don't want to go out to theaters and they want to wait and they want to... Mm-hmm. I think that's fair, but I don't think you get to go like, oh, man, you spoiled the movie for me if you want to wait three months to watch it. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. How do you feel? What are your I, thoughts on I that? would totally agree. I think I, I think that there is a – and I don't know what this time frame is, but I think there is a certain time frame when a movie comes out that you should, like, give people some time to go see it. Mm-hmm. Don't be that guy, like you were saying, who posts a screen grab the day that it comes out, you know? Yeah. Um, because even if – like you're the diehard movie fans that we are we don't go see movies the day they come out like there are some movies that we do it but not every single one you know Mm -hmm. so if you're that person who goes and watches a marvel movie and then is like oh man i can't believe whatever the heck happened at the end of this in the post credit scene and post that twitter you're scum right it's also the people who like you know if you accidentally spoil something for someone and you're like, oh, my bad, man. Like, that happened. Shit yeah. happens. But the people who, like, go on Instagram and they're like, Tony Stark dies in Endgame. Yeah. You are scum. Like, don't do that. Yeah, come I, on. I remember that was a huge thing back when Endgame came out. It was like, don't spoil the Endgame. And there was just people going to, like, 
world star or like Gordon Ramsay cooking videos and just commenting and being like, here's who dies in this movie. I'm like, okay, you're just like an asshole. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So people like that who spoil stuff, my thoughts are fuck off. But mm-hmm. people who, you know, want to post something on their Instagram or, or accidentally say something for, in front of someone or just give it a few days, that's totally fine. Yeah. And the great thing is too, things like Twitter and I don't know if Instagram does this, but I know that Twitter does it. If you are like, I really don't want spoilers from this new movie, you can, like, block um, Mm -hmm. tweets and posts from that have that, like, word in it. Or if it's, like, the title of the movie or whatever. I think I still have, like, all the Spider-Man keywords blocked. I think I do, too. I think I do, too. (laughs) I was just like, gotta gotta stay safe. Yeah. Uh, But that's my thoughts on that. I think it's fine after you've given people a couple days. The diehards Mm -hmm. will see it. And the people who want to wait a few months, I understand. But you don't get to be like, why'd you ruin it for me? Because it came out three months ago. Exactly. Uh, next question is from our guy Cole Ross. Uh, he said, "Is there any awful movies that you guys consider your guilty pleasures? Do you want to start, or do you want me to go?" Uh, you start because I don't have my phone on me. One second. Okay. Um, the first and second Venom movies immediately come to mind as like pure, unadulterated comic book idiocy. Mm-hmm. Just like the stupidest fucking comic book shit to ever exist. But I kind of love them. I think the both the Venom movies are so stupid and dumb. They're great. But they're great. And, mm-hmm. like, I quote them a lot, and I find myself, like, kind of thinking about rewatching Let There Be Carnage more often than I'd like to admit. The fact that he takes his finger and puts it into a computer, and it turns into a USB drive, and he <laughs> uploads information to his brain is the best thing I've ever seen in a mm-hmm. movie. So, yeah, I love the first two Venom movies, despite the fact that I wouldn't rate them very high. Um, I also love Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is a 80s slasher about a man who has a psychotic break and... Uh, he, he works at a hardware store, and he has some childhood trauma towards Christmas. And mm-hmm. he works as a hardware store at the, as the Santa, and he, dre- he dresses up as Santa, and he goes on a killing spree. Here's actually where what I'm saying. I like the second one more as an awful movie, because the second one is barely a movie. Mm-hmm. It is a recap of the first Silent Night, Deadly Night. It literally uses about 40 minutes of footage from the first movie. And then it films like 40 minutes of new footage where the brother, who was never mentioned, of the killer from the first movie, like, goes on a killing spree as well. But he doesn't dress up like Santa. He just walks around town killing people, and he's, like, chuckling, like, <laughs> the oh whole time he does gosh. it. It's really stupid. Uh, my dad and I watch it every Christmas. I, I fucking love it. It's so yeah. dumb. Uh, and then also I just have to give some love to Tommy Wiseau's The Room, mm-hmm. which is, like, kind of the iconic, awful movie. Well, yeah, that one's but it rules. awful because it's great. Yeah. Um... I, I couldn't, like, I don't watch that many awful movies these days, but ones from my childhood that I, like, vividly remember were bad, but I still love them. And I, I still love them to this day. Um, I, one of them's definitely the Spy Kids movies. <laughs> yeah. um, I watched those things so much as a kid. And, like, I, I'm just going to lump this one in there, too, like Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Yeah. Like, they're great movies when I think about them as a kid, but I think I watched part of Spy Kids as an adult now, and it was bad. It's hard to rewatch. It's bad. It's really hard, because, like, I have, like, these really wonderful memories with those movies, and you rewatch them, and it's like, and then, oh, man. And then there's one Spy Kids movie that has a... Uh, I think it's Sylvester Stallone as the villain. Yeah. And it's really bad. And, and like, Shark Boy and Lava Girl is iconic, but it's not great. Um, you know what we should do? We should have a couple beers tonight and watch Shark Boy and Lava Girl. I'm down. <laughs> um, and then another one I just want to throw out there. Uh, this movie is Shark Tale. You ever watch Shark Tale? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's a great kids movie. 
but I like watch part of it as an adult now, and I was like, ooh. Ooh. It's like this one's a bit weird. It's just it's odd. Yeah, it is odd. It's just like it's like it's if like, you took Finding Nemo and flushed away and like fused the tones of them. Not even. It's like if you took Finding Nemo and made it like an adult film. Cuz mm. they've got like a sexy fish and then they've got a point where like Oscar the fish that uh gets played by or Will Smith voices he gets like eaten by one of the other sharks and he just like sits in his mouth for a while and then gets burped up or whatever. The tone of that and movie then, is all off. And then you've got two like mildly stereotypical um, Jamaican jellyfish that seem to be high all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. It's really weird. And yeah, I don't know. And another one that I just want to shout out. This isn't even a guilty pleasure. I don't, I haven't watched this movie, but I have a guilty pleasure of watching a guy named John Tron talk about this movie. Yeah. It's called Food Wars. This is the most cursed film you will ever see. I don't know about it. It's all just like really bad animation. It's pretty much like uh, the horrible, horribly animated child-friendly version of Sausage Party. Okay. Um, Got you. That's another one we could throw in here. Oh, well, yeah. Sausage Party. It's it's funny to watch, but it's a bad movie. It's bad. Um, but the Food Wars one, it was just like it was made in the early 2000s when they couldn't really figure out computer animation just yet. So everything's kind of weird and odd. And yeah, anywho. That's hilarious. Oh, I got to – you know what? These I won't classify these as awful because you he, he says the, the specific phrase guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. I'll throw them in. The Diary of Wimpy Kid movies. Um, oh, God. The first three. Not the long haul. That abomination when they recasted everyone. And not the new attempt at – Re- rebooting it as like an animated movie. I'm talking the first three. Can I? I also am gonna throw one more in there too. This is not a bad movie, but it's a guilty pleasure. Um, the Evil Dead movie. Uh, oh, yeah, man. It's not bad, but it just like was made on a really low budget and nothing scary in it. It's all just really funny. Yeah. Um, and it's just a goofy time where they're like, oh, blood, and I'm like, ha ha, funny. Yeah, fair. So, I see how Evil Dead could be. A guilty pleasure for some. For me, it's like I would I would shout it from the rooftops and be like, "I am so proud that I love Evil Dead." But, but it's it's still a guilty it's so, pleasure. It's so goofy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Kelsey, our friend Kelsey asks thoughts on book to movie adaptations. What's the best and worst to you? And the thoughts on aspects such as create creativity, pressure to live up to the hype, and etc. That's I, a very good question. I'm gonna keep it real simple. I know all of my answers to this. Thoughts yeah. on them, just in general. Um, they can be done well if they stick to the material in said book. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't do that, it's bad. Agreed. Period. Agreed. Um, across the scale. Worst one, Divergent. Those movies were horrible. They're awful. The books, which I have read, are fantastic. Um, so it's just upsetting to see such a great book be made into a horrible movie. And they have a great cast. Great Shine cast. Shining Woodley, Miles Teller. Great premise, too. They yeah. just, I don't know, they just mess it up. Um, they Those Divergent movies were so bad, they didn't even finish the story. No. They were just I like, think, we're, we're just done. Yeah, yeah, which is a good call. Yeah. Uh, but the books are much better. Um, and I think the best one, in my opinion, I mean, you've got the classics that are really good, like The Lord of the Rings, right. the Harry Potter, like, those ones are just good in general. But I think just, like, a good one to shout out is Ready Player One. I read the book, and in my opinion, the movie is better than the book. Right. Um, the book is okay. It has some weird parts in it. Uh, and I really did enjoy the book a lot, but it just has some weird moments. And the movie hits all the nostalgia right, like, nails it perfectly. 
um, by bringing these characters that we know and love and all this stuff. And it cuts out all the weird, gross stuff. And it's it's just really good, really good movie that I think, in my personal opinion, is better than the book. Mm-hmm. I actually don't like the Ready Player One book, and I like the movie. So mm-hmm. that I think that's a testament to the point you're making. It's like the, the book just does a bit too much, and the movie kind of fine-tunes it a bit. Yeah. Um, an example for me, when I think of, like, obviously there's Lord of the Rings. I think that's kind of like, you know, the great. Like, those movies yeah. are just fantastic. They're flawless. There's nothing to say there. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like the Hunger Games movies. They're not bad. And I have, I have complicated thoughts on them because I think the first and second are, like, really solid and, like, adapt the books very well. There's things that I would change and things that they didn't do perfectly, but I think overall they get the tone, they get the feel. It's it's done mostly pretty well, especially Catching Fire, which is my favorite book in the series mm. and my favorite movie. I think that they did that one really well. It's once they get into the Mockingjay stuff yeah, where they kind of lose what made those books work. Yeah, it's those ones, the Mockingjay ones are rough. Mockingjay is also, like, the worst part of the Hunger Games story. Yeah. So, like, in, it's just hard to adapt. Um, but my thoughts on that is, like, it's always going to be hard to adapt a book because people build things in their brain the own the way they want to see it. Exactly. When right? you read a book, you you imagine the world, you imagine what the characters look like. Like what I imagined Katniss looked like in my head was not at all what I got on screen. Yeah, um, and that's no fault of Jennifer Lawrence. That's just how brains work. Exactly. And yeah. so it's it's tough all the time. And I think as the second part of that question, just kind of answer like what I think on thoughts of like creativity and all that stuff. I think it's important to have the people who made the books and made the world and made the characters mm-hmm. be integral to mm-hmm. the script writing, to the characters, to all this stuff because right. that's their universe. That's their world. They came up with that. If there's anyone who knows it the best, it's them. Right. And speaking of that point and one that I – if I would never forgive myself if I hadn't have mentioned this, Jesus, mm. uh, is the Harry Potter movies. Well, yeah. Those the ones are classic. whole franchise. Those are the classics and probably the finest example of adapting – those in a long form because they got jk rowling in yeah uh who you know complicated person that i don't have good i don't have much good thoughts on but yeah uh having the author of the person who created those that world uh that that's essential you know to to adapt it you want to have the person who is who knows what they're talking about about that world yeah and when you don't have that i think that that can cause some problem i i think in regards to the point about creativity as well i think don't try too much like don't try to be like changing way too much from the world but also don't be like completely boxed into the fact that you're making an adaptation i think is like the finest line to walk right yeah you still want it to be its own living breathing thing and to be creative with it but you don't want to start sending people away who who care about that source material exactly uh my dad is a huge fan of wheel of time and he has a lot of issues with how they're telling that story oh yeah that's like his favorite book series of all time and and he's said that he's going to stick around because it's cool to have a show for it but I know he has a lot of big issues with how they're adapting that story and how they're they're framing the narrative of that story. Yeah. Like, be creative. Don't rework everything mm-hmm. is, is how I feel about that. Exactly. Um, okay, next question is from our room, my roommate, the, our guy, Morgan Cutler. Mm-hmm. He said, what are some of your favorite underrated gems? Movies you want to spotlight briefly but never really talked about on the show at oh. any full length. Oh. Uh, for me, there's a bunch of movies, especially movies I've kind of watched recently that just start coming to mind about like, holy shit, these are underrated. Let's try and keep it to five. Five. We can do that. I might have six or seven. Really? We'll really, go through. We'll but go through. like, let's not linger on them too long. Let's yeah. just hit them. Okay. We'll hit them fast. Um, I will start with one. Uh, Moulin Rouge. I mention this movie all the time, mm-hmm. um, but it's so good. So fun. Such a great uh, musical movie. A great example of Boz Lerman doing his crazy shit, but it works really well. Facts. That's all I have to say about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, 
I just watched this the other day. Had heard a lot about it for a long time. It's called Begin Again. This is a, a drama starring Keira Knightley, Mark Ruffalo, um, about a musician trying to find her way in New York. Mm-hmm. And they decide to make... They can't afford a, a, a studio, so they decide to make the album in public places around New York. Mm. And it's really cool. The music is fantastic. It's just... A, it's a little sappy. It's a full-on rom-com. But I needed it. I loved it. It was great. And nobody talks about it. So yeah. begin again. Uh, I We talk about this one, too, but I feel like it does not get enough praise. Waves. I got to shout out Waves. This movie does not get enough love. And this is definitely on my list. This is one of my favorites ever. Yeah, it's such a good movie. So amazing. Uh, but it just does not get talked about enough. And nobody... I feel like I mention it to people, and they're like, I've never heard of that ever. And I'm like, well, we're going to watch it now. Even amongst the A24 slate, Waves is, like, very underrated. Like, Which is It's not crazy. talked about. Yeah. It's so, so good. Go listen to our pod on that one. We have a whole episode. Yeah. Um, next one for me is Ben Affleck's The Town. I mm. love heist movies. This movie is a fucking perfect heist movie. It's a, it's so good. No one talks about it. It drives me nuts. It's like modern day heat with Jeremy Renner and Ben Affleck. And mm. it's got a nice love story. And it's just fucking amazing. Uh, I just got a little intense there. But this movie's really good. And mm-hmm. It needs more love. Uh, another movie I want to shout out from my childhood that I feel like no one talks about, and if it does get talked about, it's a joke, but I don't know why, is Flushed Away. That movie is so good. I don't yeah, know man. what people are saying. Like, people who haven't seen it or people who are like, oh, it's a stupid claymation movie. Shut up. It's so fun. You yeah. Adventures with rat people. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Flushed Away was such a staple of my childhood. I Come love that movie. It's so good. I feel like no one talks about it. And when I mention it, people are like, huh? I feel like I don't even talk about it. I played the video game. I loved that. Oh, it's iconic. Um, okay. Next one for me is Columbus. This is, uh, Coconata's direct directorial debut. Uh, just a re- I love talkie movies about just mm. two people finding each other and just having a nice discussion. This is about, um, a young girl who meets a, a older guy and they just talk about life and architecture and just their shared passions and ideas in life. And it's, it's really good. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, another one I have is um, I want to shout out I mean I feel like people talk about this one a decent bit but I feel like not enough is The Princess Bride I feel like a lot of people mention it yeah. but uh, I think it's one of the best examples of like that kind of uh, Monty Python-esque fairy tale adventure that still has a very serious and very heartfelt plot to it mm-hmm. um, that line of my name is Hugo Montoya. Prepare to die. Will live with me forever. Yeah, it's such a good movie, and I've I had a conversation with someone about it, and they were like, "Yeah, I just never got around to it because it kind of looked goofy, like it was from the '90s or '80s or whenever." And just yeah, it kind of looked goofy. I'm like, "Watch it. Yeah, watch it, and your life will be changed." It's Rob Reiner, the guy who did Stand by Me. Exactly. You know, like that, and Misery. It's a great director. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I also want to talk about Chef. Which is the John yes. Favreau movie? I had this one on my list, but this is yeah. like one of the ultimate comfort movies. I could watch this every night to fall asleep to it, and I would like not have any problem with like it being repetitive. It's, it's so good, and it just doesn't get talked about. Like this mm-hmm. movie is perfect if you're into like food, some really just delicious looking food in this movie. But it's also just a good story of like finding yourself after you've lost yourself. You yeah. know, like losing your passion and trying to find your way back to it. Just a beautiful movie, just a fun movie, uh, and it's just so rewatchable, so cozy. Yeah. Um, and one more I'm going to shout out is a fairly new one, uh, but I, I still feel like people don't talk about this enough. Is everything everywhere all at once. 
I feel oh, like it yeah. had a tiny little spike, and then no one has talked about it since. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I, I still bring it up to people, and they're like, oh, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to check it out. And it's totally because it's like they're not. It's not that big box office, whatever the heck. This movie brought me to tears. It brought me to joyful laughter. Like mm-hmm. it is so good and so fantastic. I just had to shout it out. I know we've talked about it, but yeah. Had to really push it out there. Oh man, and it's also A twenty four's first movie to hit a hundred billion or hundred yeah. million. Sorry, not hundred billion. See, that's the crazy thing is like so many. It's gotten so much reach and everything, but I feel like people aren't talking like about I'm it. Still enough. not hearing about it enough. Yeah. yeah, totally. No, I totally agree. And you know what? Uh, I watched this the other day, and I was just reminded of the fact that not only is the reception to this movie sort of like teetering on negative. Uh, this movie's just so underrated. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is one of the funniest mm. comedies that had come out in that time. And just like, I don't know, maybe it got pushed aside because of how many great comedies had come out at that time period. Mm -hmm. But every supporting character in this movie, every side character, everyone in this movie is is so funny. And it's just like, it's a great, just great movie. I, you said that and I have one more I need to shout out. Uh, School of Rock. School of Rock is such a good Jack Black movie. Like, it's one of my favorite Jack Black movies. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend. I feel like nobody talks about it, and when I do bring it up, people are like, I've never seen that one. Yeah. We could, and we could do this for the rest of the episode. Yeah, I could do this for, like, the next five days. But, you know, I just, um, it's a good question, because there's so many movies that, like, deserve at least a mention on here that we haven't had the chance to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah, those are just a couple. Um, My mom asked, Mm -hmm. and this is, this is a question that i'm gonna have to explain to you a little bit okay do you tend to find yourself ever podcasting your life in a way since you've started doing the show for reference in the movie the holiday the character played by cameron diaz works for a movie studio and has a movie trailer voice narrate her life at times in a far less dramatic sense do you find that this happens to you at all does your brain ever podcast brain thoughts that you feel like why am i like overdoing this dude it is every single time i explain a movie or talk about a movie to someone Mm -hmm. um i become a podcaster same uh, it's always with movies for and me. And here's the thing. It's always with movies for me too. But here's the thing. I think I really do appreciate it because it's allowed me to um, – I used to talk about movies and get very adamant about like, I like this and you should like it too because of all these things. Now when I podcast, I do say that stuff. But I also – now when I have these conversations with people – I am way more open to hearing what they have to say about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I could mention a movie and they'd be like, yeah, that movie sucks. And I'm like, I love that movie. Tell yeah. me why you think it sucks. Right. Um, and that's the podcaster in me being like, I want to hear your opinion so I can try and uh, make you like this movie, you know? Right. Um, so I will say in a good way it's done that for me, but in a bad way, um, <laughs> when people ask me about movies, like – my mom the other day asked me what's good in theaters like what are good movies in theaters asked me about the elvis movie asked me about a couple different things i like i literally summarized our entire podcast in the elvis movie in about two minutes just like went to my mom i went through the pretty much almost the entire movie um just telling her what's what and all this stuff um and it's it's made me a little bit more critical on movies and i think i i do dislike that because i wish i could turn my brain off sometimes but oftentimes i just can't i know i'm always in that movie podcaster idea or headspace you know totally yeah i feel the exact same way i think as a positive it's helped me formulate my thoughts and it's helped me i like challenging opinions now like i, I actually love arguing with you about movies and i yep. love when we don't feel the same way because it's super fun to get like different perspectives and just like we're usually just like, ah, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, we uh, admittedly, we are a show where we are very similar with our tastes, right? And we often yeah. are, are gushing about how much we like things together. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes on the pod or just in general in life now, 
I, I like that that opposite reaction that challenged me on it. I want to I want to talk to you about it and kind of get the the quiz about it on a negative point like you had said I can talk about movies for 45 minutes in real life and that's kind of not what my friends who aren't you Mm -hmm. maybe want in every uh, setting I can just go on and on and on like yeah that's the the other thing too Mm -hmm. I think I could totally agree with that I'll do a podcast in someone's living room yeah I feel like a lot of the time probably 80% of the things we talk about is movies. I know. Um, and it, it's fun to uh, watch Kelsey of it. when we're at Cole and Kelsey's and Braden's cause Cole's super invested in Kelsey's like listening and she's following along, but we're going for so long. But We've just been talking about the nuances of whatever the heck movie for like, the past l- hour. Let me analyze Walter Hartwell white for you really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but honestly, I think on, on a positive note, there's that on a negative note. If somebody asks me what's playing in theaters, I'm going to like load up the app and I'm going to go through like show times and like yeah. this one tonally might not be your thing. This is DC League of Super Pets we're talking about. Yeah. So anyways, it makes me a bit pretentious at times, but I also like the way it's helped me formulate my thoughts and question people's thoughts on something that I'm so passionate about. Yeah. Uh, yes, I do find myself narrating my life at times to mm-hmm. answer the simplicity of the question. Uh, my dad asks... My dad, Paul Kutras, asks, Recently it was announced that the TV series Ash vs. Evil Dead might have its story continue and wrap up as an animated series. What is your guys' thought on shifting to using animation to continue pre-existing stories when live action isn't financially feasible? Because that's essentially what he's saying is like the Evil Dead show, Mm -hmm. they didn't make the final season for it because they couldn't afford to. Now they're going to finish the story as animation. Do you think that that's like something that more shows should do if they don't get the chance to wrap up their story rather than cliffhanger people? No. Really? And I think the reason why is I'm interested to see how that happens, but I never watched the Evil Dead TV show, so I can't really say. Right. Um, but in my personal opinion, when you switch to animation, there is a barrier that is broken. Yeah, it's like a tonal change. Tonal shift. Because yeah. uh, when there's animation involved, things can either become more lighthearted or you can do some more different things. And it doesn't, like, it has different impacts when it's animation versus real people. So. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think so, but I'm interested to see what happens with that. Yeah, I think in certain stories, in certain cases, I think it's beneficial. I like the idea of doing it for final seasons that didn't get made. You know, Mm -hmm. like the idea of like, well, we did a show for two seasons and we wanted to do five, but it got canceled. So now we'll just make it animated for the rest of the show. Don't like that idea. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I do show a little bit or express a little bit of interest in the idea of like, we wanted to just wrap this up and we didn't get the chance to. This is the only way we can afford to wrap it up. I know a lot of people have done that with comics, mm-hmm. stories that didn't get finished. They're like, well, we made a comic book to, to end it off. I like the idea of closure in my stories and I think my big problem with TV series is that I get invested in a story and then the network is like, it didn't make us enough money so you don't get anything from it and you just wasted four years of your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, fuck. That's, I hate that stuff. So I do like the idea, uh, as somebody who liked the Ash vs. Evil Dead show, I like the idea of getting closure to it uh, in general, I don't know how I feel about it as a method in general, but yeah. in this specific case, I think it's kind of cool. Mm. Um, okay, next question from the guys over at the Cast of Color. Mm. They said, the two of you are very knowledgeable in your movies, each in a different way. Are there any long-term goals or plans for the podcast down the line? Um, I think this is, we can answer this question and another question in this. Mm-hmm. My dad asked a question of um, why we haven't done video yet. Yeah. Uh, and so I think we can answer kind of both of these. I think down the line, we'd like to do video. We'd love to do a uh, video podcast. I'm a very, uh, I'm a very physical person. Yeah. Um, Use your hands and a I lot. make my hands a lot and all this stuff and no one sees it. I'm just doing these gestures to Hayden. <laughs> right. And that's it. So I think that's definitely something down the line uh, that I'd love to do. Um, I don't know. Do you have any? Absolutely. Um, so here's what I'll say. I, I would love to do 
and this is kind of an, an announcement, but the website's not really in the in the place we want it to be yet, so we're not launching yeah. it yet. It's still down. It, uh, we're launching a website, www.thedivinmoviecast.com. Season four. It'll probably be around season yeah, four. Yeah, uh, around season four time. And I think we'll – I don't even fully know what the plans are for it yet. I just know I want to launch it, and then we'll figure it out. Mm. Uh, and I also think a YouTube channel is something that might be on the horizon. That's something we've talked about a couple times. I would like to make uh, short-form content. Mm-hmm. On, on on the YouTube channel and I know if you ever had five minutes of something you wanted to say short form content that's the benefit of a YouTube channel is YouTube we can, shorts right we can pull people in who don't want to spend an hour and 15 minutes with us which you know fair yeah. uh, and we can pull people in and we can have that audience as well and just make content for people who have less time so I think that that's something we want to do uh, in regards to why we haven't done video podcast let me explain what, what I'm seeing right now okay mm-hmm. I'm seeing three laundry baskets my dresser is yeah. falling apart. It's it, the the reason My jeans why are on the floor and a record player is on the floor as well. Uh, <laughs> the reason why is because we don't have a space to do so yet. Yeah. Once we figure out like a space to do so and a format that we're able to record hour long uh, videos and are able to edit them in a feasible way, then we will be able to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a matter of having the space to do it, having a set because mm-hmm. we need to have a set. Right. Um, and having the recording equipment available because at the moment we record these on my little laptop with a tiny little mixer and our two microphones and that's it. Yeah. And it's just, I, I want to be able to give it the energy it deserves. In yeah. We want to be able to put that quality into it. Yeah. If I feel like if we had been doing video all this time, it would have been like, you know, your laptop's camera recording us sitting across from each other with like random shit in the background. Gosh, I would never. It just wouldn't look very good. No. Uh, so I think when we do it, we want a camera, we want a space, and it just to, to make it, give it the energy it deserves. Because right now, the only energy we can properly give it is is the vocal version. Yeah. And I think if we're going to do it in physical version, it just has to be, we have to, it has to be right, you yeah. know? Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why we haven't done that. It's on the horizons. I would love to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Cast of Color also asked, you guys have listeners in different countries all around the world. What has been your most fulfilling surprise from hosting this podcast? That. Uh, having listeners around the world. The yeah. fact that there's people in, in other places who don't know me at what all. Was, wasn't there a point in time where we were like number one somewhere like random? It's happened in a couple places that I was always shocked. I know that for a while it was Argentina. Which is so weird. We were we were a little bit popping in Argentina for a few weeks there. I don't know. And uh, I can't remember it right now, but I think like South Africa recently. There was like a spike in listening ship in South Africa. Weird. Uh, stuff like that's really, really cool to me. And so mm-hmm. to, and to answer the question, I think that that's kind of what's been the most rewarding is that obviously it's fun to chat with my best friend about movies every week. That shit's just great. And that's very rewarding in its own right. But the fact that there's actually people who are like, yeah, I'm interested. And I'm going to listen to them talk about this whole movie. Yeah. I don't even know these guys, mm-hmm. but they're funny. I like their, their dynamics. So I'm going to listen. I like that. That makes me feel good. Um, positive reviews people like showing and saying that they appreciate the show like i was downtown last week and uh and someone someone we know from around here just came up and just that we were chatting for a few minutes and said the podcast is killer i've been listening to it all the time that's fucking awesome to me you know like that just feels really nice to know that like that work is is appreciated and people value it Mm -hmm. uh so yeah that's i think what's been rewarding for me what about you yeah i totally agree i i think it's the same for me like i have a one of my coworkers. Um, she was like, yeah, me and my husband listened to your podcast the other night. We listened to like three episodes. It was great. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's awesome. It's so weird that those kinds of people are listening to my podcast or like uh, that my family members or just like random people. Like this is a an example is my friend Sid, who I'm now roommates with. 
has been like a, an avid listener for a long time. And it's right. just like, it's great to have those people in your life who are like still supporting it and uh, wanting to actually hear what you say. Because, I mean, Hayden and I would do this even if we weren't recording it. So it's mm. nice that somebody actually wants to hear what we have to say. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And I think, honestly, like when we started this, if all we had gotten was like three of the guys in our friend group listening to it during COVID... We probably would have kept doing it. We would have been like, yeah, you guys like hearing this? Yeah, we'll keep going. Yeah, we would have kept going. So I think it's just conversations we would would have anyways. It's more fun when we do it for people who like it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's been really rewarding. It's just knowing there's an audience. And we're going to be playing games as well, so we'll skim through the next couple questions here. Uh, mainly because we don't want your laptop to die. My laptop is at 20% (laughs) right now. (laughs) Not good. I forgot the charger. I'm Not what you want. Um, But Wesley, your Aunt Pam, (laughs) she asked us, the defining question, the question for the ages, I think that everybody needs to answer at some every point. Movie, like, every movie critic needs to answer this. Right. Cereal before milk or milk before cereal? It's always cereal before milk. It is indeed cereal before milk. If you put milk before cereal, I don't understand you. It's really weird. Because I'm not judging you, but it's it's a little weird. The thing about it is if you put cereal before – if you put the milk in and then you put the cereal in, how do you know how much cereal you want? Because you measure, you put the cereal in first, and you measure it out, and then you're like, okay, cool, that's how much I want. And then you put the equal amount of milk so it's not too soggy or anything. Right. If you do it the other way around, it's going to be too soggy, or it's not enough milk, and you have to add more milk anyways. Right, because you're literally defining your bowl as a bowl of milk. And then once you put the cereal in, half of it sinks to the bottom. I don't know where it's where my ratio is. I don't it, really know what I'm doing. It makes no sense. So you got to, yeah, it's yeah. got to be cereal before the milk. Yes. It's just a simple. Uh, okay. Wesley, your dad, Peter. Uh, he wants to know what is the most offensive movie of all time. Uh, this, for me, this one's pretty easy. Yeah. I actually haven't watched the movie because I just have no desire to see it. Uh, it's The Birth of a Nation, mm-hmm. which is essentially a wannabe epic from 1910 about the Ku Klux Klan hunting black people. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah, shouldn't exist. I don't know why there's. We need to make this like this needs to be removed. You know, like this movie. I'm not all for removing history, but this is just a gross fucking movie. It's a bad movie. Uh, also, I would, I, oh, oh, go ahead. I I was just gonna say I would totally agree, and I also would just want to throw this in there. This is me jabbing at West Side Story. West Side Story is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Fine musical, but literally in the original movie. All of the Puerto Rican people are white people doing blackface, and there is, I'm pretty sure there's literally a lyric in one of the songs that says those dirty Puerto Ricans. That's not what you want. And that's horrible. And people, like, love this movie, but they just, like, gloss over all the racist stuff in it. I like the remake a lot more, actually, because it's, I mean, I love Spielberg, but -hmm. also I think that it allows you to have Puerto Rican people and have people of color play the characters that they should be playing. And also... I mean, obviously, like, the story's set during that time period, so having racism in the story is, is a pivotal, but using white people to portray other, other exactly. races is not great. It's, it's not that it's an offensive movie. It's just that it has these things that back then weren't seen as offensive, but now we're just like, whoa. Yeah. You know? um, also, music by Sia yeah, that one. is just awful. And yeah. <laughs> it's very... I like Sia, and I know that her intentions were seemingly in the right place for this, but she just she did everything wrong. She said a really bunch of bad shit. This movie's just gross and just disrespectful. It's insensitive. Uh, Sia, I know you're not a bad person. Do better. That's all I say. I, li- I like Sia. This movie's just bad. Yeah, it's bad. Um, and last one, Scoob, because it's a shame to the legacy of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> it, shouldn't, it shouldn't exist. Uh, it's so offensive. It's, it drives me nuts. 
Oh gosh, <laughs> I didn't think you were gonna actually do that. I, I hit you with it. Dang. Yeah, but just really quickly, when things are offensive, it kind of depends on the people. Yeah, it depends on the person. And so, I think there are movies that are blatantly offensive, uh, like Birth of a Nation. And I think there's also other movies that people find offensive and people don't. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really based on the person. But yeah, yeah definitely yeah. those ones. Totally. Um, Borat too, but Borat. Borat yeah, right. It, the thing about Borat is it's a parody. It's like a satire of, yeah, of that shit. So exactly. it's like. But it it's is a satire, expensive. but there's definitely jokes where I was sitting there like, ooh. Yeah. Um, okay. We have – just going to wrap it up. We have a couple – one more. Two more, actually. Cole wants to know, Cole Ross, is CGI better or worse for cinema overall? Think of the worst CGI examples you've seen versus some of the best, and then compare, compare if you prefer to see that appear practically. Uh, essentially, what like we were watching Before Sunrise the other night, and Cole was making a point about the fact that Richard Linklater had them actually move around Vienna. Mm-hmm. during that movie right and like they're actually on a train and they're actually moving to all these real places and he talks about how now like it's really easy to just green screen them in those places yeah do you feel it completely like strips the movie like of, of its authenticity or like do you think essentially what he's asking is is cgi better or worse overall for cinema i'm gonna i think it has pros and cons i think it's better in the sense that you can do so much more now mm-hmm. and when you want to go to places here's what i'll say if you are filming a movie and you are setting it in a location that exists, why not film there? Right. If you are filming a movie that sets in a location that doesn't exist, CGI. You gotta CGI it. Right. You know? But when you've got things like, um, oh, let's go, let's do a movie that's shot in New York and we're gonna be on the top of the Empire State Building but we'll just make a set with a green screen. Right. It's like, why not just go to the top of the Empire State Building? Like, that would look so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that you can do cooler things with CGI and all this stuff. And like but financial like, stuff too, but... But like, why not have it real? Where? Why are we bailing on realism now when I feel like um, building those crazy sets and things and all the CGI that is probably going to cost you the same as flying a crew out there. Right. You know? Yeah. Like I can, I, I can sum up my thoughts on this pretty easily with like Kevin Feige's reaction to when Chloe Zhao wanted to film Nomadland on real beaches and cliffs is concerning. He was like, some of the shots she has here, I've never seen anything like it. I'm like, you've never seen a sunset? Yeah. Like, like you can, yeah, it's like you can do real things. Right. And they look amazing. Because yeah. you can't, you can get close to replicating on, replicating it on a computer just like the Uncanny Valley. You can yeah. get close to making real people in uh, in uh, CGI and all that stuff, but there is nothing like the real thing. Yeah, totally. So I, I think practical when you can, CGI when you can't. Exactly. I've always been that way. I think creatures and horror movies, they're way better when they're practical yeah. and not the CGI mess that barely looks like it's in the scene, you know? Mm. Uh, so in general, yeah, that's how I feel on that. Kelsey wants to know, can you discuss your thoughts on whether movie producers or writers have an obligation to portray a certain message or whether they should just be seen as art slash fun? Uh, I, have, I have a pretty easy answer to this, I think. In my opinion, when it comes to adaptations of books and stuff like we've talked about, that is not for you as a director. You are making this movie for the people who love this book. Um, or like a lot of Marvel movies – those aren't those aren't for you as a director. You are making these movies for the people who love this kind of thing. When it's your movie, when it's a new original story, when it's that kind of thing, I want to see what you have to say about this. Right. I want to see your heart in this movie. 
I, I like I, that is what makes those movies for me that makes them so amazing like Chloe Zhao is a great example of like the most amazing real shots in Nomadland of just like a van traveling across the desert mm-hmm. and like the shots that she has and the emotional moments that are with those characters I can see her in those and that's what I want to see if I'm watching the next big Marvel movie sure you are more than welcome to put your influence into the next couple things but there's a character here that already exists that you are just bringing to life on screen right you can put a bit of yourself into that but remember that there is already like tons about this character that exists you know Mm -hmm. so when it's a brand new thing and it's a brand new idea i totally think i want to see the artist in that but when it's something that people have loved for a long time and are passionate about I want to see you use your skills as an artist to bring that to life. Right. And to the point that she makes about, like, do they have an obligation to portray a certain message or whether they should be seen as fun? When I go see Bullet Train, uh, there's no obligation to put a message. Exactly. You know, you can make Brad Pitt punch people or kill people, and that's all the movie needs to be. But I think if you're going to try and tackle some heavy themes or some weight, you, you do need you do have an obligation by tackling that and by confronting the the weights and the themes of that movie to, to portray it respectfully. Exactly. Like if you're gonna make a movie centered around, you know, abortion, it has to be sensitive. There is now an obligation by making that film that you have to portray it in a way that's not like like, yeah, it, mocking or, or grim or bleak or yada yada yada. You know what I mean? If you decide to take on those big things, you have to like think about the people who have lived them right. and the people who care deeply about these important issues you right. know yeah so art can be seen as fun when it's only aiming to be fun but the second you're tackling and you're aiming to do other things you do have to take the responsibility of that weight yeah you know and that's our last question uh, for our mailbag thank you to everybody who asked we some yeah. seriously great questions here thank you so much to everyone who asked these questions uh, super fun to get to answer a couple of them uh, or all of them actually um, but that takes us now to my uh, i'm so excited for this this is gonna be so much fun yeah i can't take credit for this um i just want it to be known that this game was made up by a man named joe beretta from SourceFed or the valley folk uh, he's a youtuber um he actually has this game as a card game uh that you can buy and purchase for yourself i took some examples and things uh from his videos but i've also made a couple of my own but that being said it is time for the movie movie, movie game, movie game. Yeah, we did effects. We finally did it. Finally. Um, This game, uh, I'm going to explain it pretty simply. I'll give an example, and then we'll kind of get into it. This is all for Hayden. I made all these for Hayden. Uh, We were about to test Hayden's movie knowledge because he is, out of the two of us, I'm going to be honest, he's the bigger movie buff than I am. Yeah, fair enough. I cannot even live up to the amount of movies he watches in a year. It's disgusting, quite Um, frankly. (laughs) But the way this game works is essentially uh, I'm going to take two movies. I'm going to mash their titles together, and I'm going to mash their descriptions together. I'm going to read you the the mashed together uh, description, and you have to tell me the mashed together title. Okay. You can play along as well at home uh, and try to guess them before Aiden does. But we're going to start off really easy uh, with number one. Two British stoners have to get off their couch to fight zombies and attend a class taught by Robin Williams. Oh, okay. Hold on. Break it down. Break it down. Two British stoners have to get off their couch to fight zombies. That's the first movie. Okay. That's Shaun of the Dead. Yep. Okay. Second movie is Attend a Class Taught by Robin Williams. 
It's I can see it. I can see it. Shaun of the Dead Poet Society. Yes, there we go. <laughs> that's very good. Shaun of the Dead Poet Society. The very first one. So that's how this game works. Um, we're going to hit you with another one right here. As a struggling mother explores the multiverse to save her relationship with her daughter, she stars in a series of spaghetti westerns and meets Charles Manson. This is These are more modern movies on this okay. one. I, I got the second one. It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As a struggling mother explores the multiverse to save her relationship with her daughter. Everything, everywhere, all at once upon a time in Hollywood. Yes! Nice. There you go. There you go. That's fantastic. That was good. Um, here's another one. A doctor finds a strange cure to his illness by becoming a creature with vampiric powers while also running into a family that looks exactly like his but with red jumpsuits? Morbi Us. Yes! <laughs> Yo, that's amazing. That one's, that one's cursed, but I love it. Um, <laughs> here's, I think you'll get this one pretty easy. Okay. Um, a mother and daughter who don't get along switch bodies and get chased around a summer camp by a mysterious masked machete-wielding maniac. Freaky Friday the 13th. Yeah! <laughs> I'm on it right now. I'm going. Dude, there's some really good ones here. All right, this one is going to be a little trickier. I think the second movie you might have struggle a bit with, but okay. we'll see. A struggling traditional Japanese warrior recruits six other capable traditional Japanese warriors to go on a series of mandates to find a new best friend to listen to Rush songs with. Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai is the first one, yeah. Okay. And then what was the second one? Uh, well, they the... go on a series of mandates to find a new best friend to listen to Rush songs with. Mm, that's specific. I have a hint for you if you want the hint. Okay, hit me with it. The hint is Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel. Oh, this one is tricky. Okay. It's a tricky one. Samurai. Hmm. I was trying to. I was trying to pick a couple that might stump you. Yeah, this one is good. I'm. I'm surprised I got the Seven Samurai part, but I can't get the Paul Rudd, Jason Segel part. What movie is that? I know it exists. I mean, I know that they pop up on screen together in Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but it's not that movie. No, it's not that movie. It's a very similar era, though. Kind of the same time frame. Ah. Because my brain wants to go knocked up, but that's not... That's Seth Rogen. No, that's Seth Rogen. Paul Rudd. Hmm. I'll give you five more seconds. Or ten more seconds, actually. Five okay. More, okay. Seven, seven. No, I don't have this one. It is the Seven Samurai Love You Man. Oh, that's so good. That's a good one. Yeah, that is good. It's a good movie, too. Both I, good You know movies. what? I can't say I've seen that movie in recent memory so that might mm -hmm. be why i wasn't able to get the title of it uh all right here's another one ethan hunt and his ragtag team of secret agents go rogue to complete an unfeasible task infiltrate a ballet company and become prima ballerina prima ballerina without losing their gosh darn minds mission impossible mm-hmm the ballerina i have a hint for this one too if you want it but hmm what was the, the sentence about the... Infiltrate a ballet company and become a prima ballerina without losing their gosh darn minds. I feel like the gosh darn is very specific. No, that's just because Joe Beretta, the way he does his things, are very family friendly. Oh, I could have okay. said goddamn or whatever. But, okay. But losing their minds is a very important part of this movie. 
my god. It's an iconic ballerina movie. Is it a horror movie? 2010. Ah, sh- oh wait, oh wait. What's okay? Say it all. Say all of it again. Ethan Hunt and his ragtag team of secret agents go rogue to complete an unfeasible task: infiltrate a ballet company and become prima ballerina without losing their gosh darn minds. Mission Impossible and Black Swan. Yeah. So what's the combined title? Mission Impossible. Black Swan. Yeah, there it is. Okay, that one stumped me because I was just struggling with thinking about how to fuse the titles. I was like, "What? Mm-hmm. How's the wording here?" Damn. Okay, that's that good. Was a little trickier wording. Uh, this one is also trickier wording, um, but I will give you a hint if you can't really get it. Okay. Michael J. Fox has to save his kids in some self-tying shoes, only to find a monolith first encountered by a pre-Homo sapien species. That eventually sends him on a mission to Jupiter where he sees himself match wits with a jerk of a computer. Oh my god. This one's a tricky one. Okay. What was the first part again? Michael J. Fox. Okay, Back to the Future. I'll let you know, it's a specific Back to the Future. He has to save his kids in some self-tying shoes. Three. It's not three. Oh, it's two. It's back to the two. Okay, yeah, you're right. And the self-tying shoes should have gave it away there. And then the second one is... The future two. Find a, so only to find a monolith first encountered by a pre-homo sapien species that eventually sends him on a mission to Jupiter where he sees himself match wits with a jerk of a computer. Back to the future 2001 Space Odyssey. Yes! Yeah, yeah. Yes! I love that one. That's a good combo right there. That is a good one. All right. This one, I don't know if you get this one because I know I don't think you've seen the second movie. Okay. But I think I'll, I'll give you a hint right after if you're like, I have no sweet clue, and I think that'll help. Okay. This bride is on an unstoppable revenge journey of violent comeuppance to avenge the murder of her unborn child by the hands of a driven 11-year-old British ballet boy with an unstoppable desire to dance. It's Kill Bill. Yeah. Uh... Dancing British Ballet Boy. Okay. I've, I have two hints for this one. Okay, give me one of them. First hint is this is um, this is a, a musical that Neptune is doing. In this up-and-coming season? Yes. Okay, that's a good one. It's a good hint for me. And I have a second hint that I think will really help you out if you need it. I'm thinking about all the Neptune shows that are about to be playing in Halifax. It's an 11-year-old British ballet boy with an unstoppable desire to dance. Oh, my God. Um, Kill Billy Elliot. Yes. There you (laughs) go. See, I was like, I I don't think he's seen that movie. I have not, but the Neptune reference was good Mm because I know they're putting that show on. Uh, This one, I think, will be an easiest one for you. An easier one. As we watch a young woman navigate the troubled waters of her love life and struggle to find her career path, she decides to meet up with her college drinking buddies for one last bar crawl and become humanity's last hope of survival. The worst person in the world's end. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> That's so good! <laughs> and I love how fast they got it. I, I was like, there's no way that's the worst person in the world, but I knew you, you'd tailor it to me. So. No, yeah, exactly. That's good. Uh, I love this one and hate it at the same time. Here we go. A lovable teddy bear ends up in jail and teams up with an ex-cop turned street racer and things get a little overly quick and overly frenzied. <laughs> a lovable teddy bear. Ted. No. Okay. A lovable teddy bear ends up in jail 
and teams up with an ex-cop turned street racer. And things get a little overly quick and overly oh. frenzied. Oh, Paddington 2. Okay, and then give me the second part again. Uh, he teams up with an ex-cop turned street racer, and things get a little overly quick and overly frenzied. God. Oh, Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah, but it's a specific one that fits. Paddington, too fast, too furious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. Woo! Okay, all I right. Got tears in my eyes. We're this is so funny. We're uh, we've got six more, I think. Christian Bale explains to you why it's hip to be square while learning more about his Mexican musical heritage. American Psycho. Uh, American Psycho. Co. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I love I that to, one. I, the way I looked at you before answering that one, I was like, it can't be American Psycho. Um, this one's an easy one. An adorable trash compacting droid leaves his job behind to find Robo Love amongst the stars while simultaneously hiding a glowing fingered alien in his closet. While E.T. <laughs> yeah, see that one's pretty easy. That one's easy. That's good though. Uh, this is gonna test your um, test your old film knowledge. Okay. An old school monster from swampy depths goes on an underground adventure with his best friends to find rich stuff so he can save his house from developers. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, and what was the second part? Um, goes on an underground adventure with his best friends to find rich stuff so he can save his house from developers. Hmm. Hmm. Underground adventure to find rich stuff. Mm-hmm. Save house from developers. How How old is it? It's not that old. It's okay. like, I think it's 90s. It's a classic. Hmm. It's a classic. Mm. Is there another hint or no? Uh, I can give you a hint. This is a coming-of-age movie. Coming-of-age movie from the 90s. An underground adventure with his best friends to find rich stuff. Oh, oh my God. Creature from the Black Lagoonies. Yeah, there you go. I there love go. Goonies. I can't believe I wasn't getting that. A 90s coming-of-age movie about people searching for treasure. How? Um. All right. Here's the next one. Parker, you better get me pictures of this new superhero who's big and small on my desk now, or you're fired. Ooh. Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. This one, the the combo is weird. It's really weird. Big and... So, the hard part about this one is it's a Jameson quote infused with it, rather than a movie title. Yeah. Can you say it again? Parker, you better get me pictures of this new superhero who's big and small on my desk now or you're fired. Like Spider Ant-Man? Uh, close. Spider Mant-Man. <laughs> Spider Mant-Man. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Spider Mant-Man. Uh, all right, two more. Robbie Malik creates an infectious poison to thwart the ultimate super spy while also ta- taking over the Nakatomi Plaza only to be thwarted by an NYPD officer. Easy. That's a good one. No time to die hard. Yeah. That actually sounds like an epic movie. That I would be totally watch I want to see that movie. Um, I'm getting the notification that my computer's going to die here in a second. <laughs> oh, no. Last one. Okay. A nine-year-old boy finds himself confronted with an with the ugly reality of secretary. Oh, sorry. A nine-year-old boy finds himself confronted with the ugly reality of sectarian conflict in his once peaceful working-class neighborhood. But don't worry, he's got a group of California high school students to teach him the most important subjects: sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Okay. 
This one is tough. What was the first part of that? A nine-year-old boy finds himself confronted with the ugly reality of sectarian conflict in his once peaceful working-class neighborhood. I will tell you, this is a new movie. How new? Uh, Like, last year. Okay. And, I, I mean, I can give you another hint that'll pretty much give it away, I think. Don't yet. Okay. But I might. Okay. And then the second part was about... Uh, the second part is uh, he's got a group of California high school students to teach him the most important subjects, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Dazed and confused. Mm, nope. Fast Times at Richmond High. Yes. Okay. Second one's Fast Times at Richmond High. First one is nine-year-old. Nine-year-old boy finds himself confronted with the ugly reality of sectarian conflict. What is sectarian? Sectar- if I tell you what sectarian is, it's going to give it away. Oh, damn it. Okay. I will let you know this is a period piece. A Jojo Rabbit? No, but very similar, very similar vein. I've s- Belfast. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll put them together. Belfast Times at Richmond High. There you go. Boom, and Boom. we are done. That is the movie movie game with some just fun little ones. You can tell this to your friends. I love it. You tailored so many of those to my movie taste. That was fantastic. Yeah, I was like, I feel like I need to do a couple that Hayden will clearly obviously get very quickly. Yes, I loved the worst person in the world one. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, there's some really good ones in there. Uh, I think my favorite is American Psychoco. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because having great. such a hor- it's like such an intense like killer movie. <laughs> Yeah. yeah well yeah that's i think that's kind of it for our 100th episode spectacular thank you to everyone who sent in um questions for us to answer mm-hmm. thank you to joe beretta who came up with the movie movie game and uh i'm it's so happy to play that finally yeah that i've been so watching those videos he's got a ton of videos too you can check out on the valley folk uh about him playing that game it's so fun to try and guess them yeah it was a blast that was yeah. so much fun before right before we wrap up i just want to say on a really serious uh, thank you note to anyone who's listened to anyone who listened to one episode to anyone who's listened to multiple episodes to anyone who listened to all of the episodes mm-hmm. thank you so much uh, we like just truly appreciate it it's really great and just so gratifying to know that there's still an audience after two and a half years of us just spitting random shit about movies and yeah. it's just it's so great and I'll be honest with you this summer there's been a, a dip in the amount of content we're putting out and the amount of activity I've spent on the Instagram page just due to the some personal stuff in life, but we're going to take a brief break here mm-hmm. at the ending of season three. We're probably going to not podcast for three, four weeks, just like a little month break. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back and, and it's going to be great. Season come back strong just... with the spooktacular right in October. Yes, it's time. Swinging back. But yeah, uh, thank you guys so much for listening for a hundred episodes. Um, it has been a blast and we can't wait to keep making more and more and more. Um, but while we're gone on our break, you can check out all our other episodes at the Dive In Movie Cast on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at the Dive In Movie Cast and our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kutris, and it is the same name on our letterbox. Keep up with me there. Watch what I'm watching over the next month. Mm-hmm. Hang out with me. Yeah. Thank you guys so much once again, and we will see you soon. See ya.